everyone, and welcome to the Go Tech Please Don't Die podcast, a show devoted to tech going and hopefully not dying. I'm Nathan. I'm Evan. I'm Matt. And this week we find out that, wait, there's only three episodes left until football starts, so maybe we should get back to previewing the season. Maybe starts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's Seems true. like it's starting, at least Tenta- for now. Tentatively. Is that tentatively? Tentatively yeah. starting. I think you so, got it the first time. That worked. At least for the next 38 and a half minutes or so, we're going to pretend like it definitely <laughs> is happening. Uh, you man. seem pretty optimistic about how short this episode will be, especially because <laughs> we're starting off with the large swath of schedule changes that have happened between the last time we talked 2020 football and today. Yeah. Last time we talked, I think we were still uh, still playing Vanderbilt, chalking up a win there. Uh you know, the Baylor game was still on my wedding day, so uh, it's not anymore. Wait, who are we playing on the 26th now? Hold on. We'll get to that, I'm well, sure. But Well, the team we're playing is the team that replaced another schedule opponent because originally we were playing Prairie View A&M. Not on that date, though. And then right. we sw- swapped them for Houston Baptist. Houston Baptist. Um, so that's, I think, the last time we talked was right after Tech scheduled Houston Baptist to make up it was. the SWAC delaying football to the spring. But what had happened since then is Tech's first opponent, Nevada, Las Vegas, UNLV. That game has been dropped from the schedule, even though the Mountain West is still allowing two out-of-conference games. Yeah, but didn't they push the season back to the 26th? Yes, Um, that was part of it. The game would be able to play hard to to find a way to do that. And honestly, I'm okay with Tech not traveling that far out to Vegas um, because, you know, it seems like the, the less travel you can take, the better, I guess. Um, in the current circumstances. So it, it just makes sense. And I'm sure it was a two-way conversation to try to reschedule that game, but didn't work out. Yeah, that and also Tech fans can use that game as an excuse to fly out to Vegas. And if they're pushing the game back a few years, then, you know, maybe maybe you get that excuse again. Yeah, when we can actually travel and yeah. do sinful things in Sin City. Yeah, the only other way this game would have been played is if they had played it on what's now Tech's bye week on October 3rd. But then uh, Tech would have played 12 game, twelve weeks in a row. And uh, Evan, when was the last time that happened? I think it was 2012. I, I tried to look back at the schedules. And because we had that game, the A&M game got rescheduled from opening week to like week five or whatever. Uh, we ended up playing 12 games in a row. And I don't know if you guys remember the last two games of that season. But uh, of course I do. Maybe a bye <laughs> week would have been good. Uh, I don't know. I drink to forget those games, but <laughs> yeah. nope, they're still there. Yeah, yeah. And so the other big schedule change upcoming is that tech is no longer playing Vanderbilt, which like you said, Evan earlier, it would have been a pretty nice, easy win. Well, not an easy win, but a pretty good shot at one, at least, especially yeah. over an sec school. But the sec decided to go conference only with their football scheduling, which means tech can't play Vanderbilt because last I checked tech's not in the sec yet. So, that gives Tech an open date to schedule who else but University of Louisiana at Monroe at Independence Stadium. Yeah, that ULM fan on Twitter was uh, really happy about that, right? The the guy that keeps tweeting at us. What's the ULM p- and about town? <laughs> What's the oh, point man. of having the game at Independence Stadium if you can't let people in? Are they letting people in? They will. So right now the plan is to be able to allow people in at some capacity. The idea is to put it in a larger stadium. So that if it's, say, 20% capacity or 30% or whatever the number ends up being, a larger stadium means more people. Yeah, right. uh, and Tech hasn't said one way or the other as of when we're recording this. They haven't made an announcement about fans. Um, 
I did see on a on an article I was reading earlier today that they said they've announced a, a program to defer like so if you buy season tickets or if you have season tickets for 2020 and a game or the whole season or whatever gets canceled due to covid you'll get deferred tickets for next year or maybe even future years or whatever however they want to play that but it even said in the article that they have yet to make a decision about you know capacity and percentage and all that stuff so i think they're still weighing that i think they're trying to wait as long as they can to make that determination yeah especially with numbers being updated every week it's nfl stadiums say 20 percent, then 50 percent, then 32.7 percent at this <laughs> point i don't think it makes too much sense to to either limit or put a number out there that you may just have to revise a few weeks later go ahead and start planning for all those possibilities yeah but it doesn't really make sense to publicly release publicly release a number. Another thing that I think is why it's played at Independence Stadium is that there may be some leftover pettiness between these two teams, Tech and ULM. If Tech were to host the game, then ULM may want a game back at Malone Stadium back when fans are allowed to attend again or vice versa. It's easier. Everyone's You don't have a home-and-home home situation. You don't have to rock, paper, scissors for who hosts the game. You just go somewhere third-party and not have to deal with everything. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, no matter who hosted the game this year, if it was a home-and-home, home, it would not be fair because this year there's either going to be no fans or 20% capacity or whatever. And so then if you had a repeat game in like 2024 or even next year, theoretically, that team would then get to have a full stadium. And I mean, I, so I want to say, I mean, there may be some pettiness or hard feelings there still, uh, but I think it just doesn't really make logistical sense to say we're going to do a home, like Tech gets the home game this year when nobody's allowed to come. So we're not going to make money on the game, but we'll give ULM a game three years from now where they can make money on it. You know what I mean? Like either way, or if it was ULM hosting this year and us next year, it just, it wouldn't be fair for the other party. Yeah. And independent stadium is right there. Yeah. And blue tech blue had some details about like how they're splitting the money and stuff. I don't, remember and i don't know if that's public information to get into anyway but it seemed like a pretty pretty fair deal um and i don't know if you guys read about how this game kind of came about because it's been what it's been 20 years since the last time we played but uh basically tommy mcclellan said that ulm was one of the first schools to reach out after the tornado in 2019 and he said that you know their ad reached out immediately and said hey whatever you guys need we'll help you out you need to practice you need a place to play you need anything like just let me know and you got it like so and that kind of restarted dialogue between the two schools because we just haven't been talking for the last you know for the 19 years before that basically so I don't know. I think it's a good thing. I don't know what you guys think about well, this game in general, but what I think it well, you mispronounced you mispronounced our AD's name according to some people on Twitter. Oh god. <laughs> so, what do we think of this game? What do you think of this game? Well, uh I'm all for it because ULM has actually had a I don't know what their record has been lately, but um the most recent game that comes to mind that I saw them play, I don't remember if it was 2 years ago or just last year, they took a mediocre Florida State game, uh, team, uh, I think, to overtime and only lost because John Carney played for ULM and missed the extra point. Uh, but I don't know how good their team is or how bad their team is. But I'm all for regionally-based games. I'm always for it. Yeah, This season especially, regionally 
yeah based games it just makes sense but it's a good I mean, it's i don't know it used to be a really good rivalry i feel like and it changed because well let's face it tech's on a little bit of a higher level than ulm is and so it kind of got lost so i love rivalries like this in fact i think that the most attended game in joia history was a ulm game was it not yeah i think so yeah yeah i think it was that 99 58 to 17 victory i've got i've got the uh the series history pulled up here. Tech leads 29 to 13, which if you had asked me before I pulled this up, how many times they've played that, that doesn't seem like enough times, but the first, uh, and I'm sure we'll cover all this, you know, later in the season, um, you know, if, and when we actually do play this game, but uh, the first meeting was back in 1953. So I would have thought there would have been games before that. I, I don't know the history of ULM's program though. So kick-ass water ski team. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the one thing to take away from this. Like 30 <laughs> national championships, <laughs> something like that. It's easy to win if you're the only one competing. Yeah, and, <laughs> and really the only thing that's kind of a negative in this column is you're replacing an SEC school with ULM. Like on a whole, it doesn't sound like a good trade. You would not you would not make this trade in a normal season or be happy about it. But yeah, this feels like the closest you can get to a complete win in this situation. And I think so. Yeah, yeah, and although you still have the away game the week after Thanksgiving, now at least you have a pseudo home game the week before Thanksgiving, so you're almost keeping to the, the recent yeah, tech football and, tradition. And in November, I mean, shit, maybe maybe I'll feel confident enough to go to a game at that point. Like, you know, if tech is allowing fans in the stadiums, I'd love to go. I live close enough now, but, I mean, I've also got my own health and the health of my family to look out for, you know? So fine. Not, you're fine. Yeah. But anyway, in November... <laughs> Yeah, I know I don't need to defend myself to you guys, but uh, in November, though, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Maybe maybe it's something that I could actually look into going to. Yeah. And again, like we said earlier, with it doesn't make sense for Tech to put an estimate of the number of fans it expects at a stadium a few weeks from now. It doesn't make sense to speculate on a game months from now. Plan for the situations, plan to have fans, plan on going to the game, plan on not going to the game. Have multiple plans if you're the kind of person that plans these things that far ahead of time, like a school would, but maybe not you yeah. yourself going to a game <laughs> would. But it makes sense to, to at least be open to it, and I think that's really the best we can do. And just like Tech did the best that they could do and shuffling around their early season schedule to keep Baylor on their ticket. Yeah, this that is was the transition, right? That was a good one right there. That yeah, was a good transition. This is a, a, a solid C. I'll give okay, it. Okay, I'll, I'll take a C. I'll take a C. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this this is interesting because, you know, so the Big 12 announced that they were going to do a conference slate plus one out of conference. Is that right? Yes. So it was kind of like, well, who does Baylor want to play? Because if they want to play us, we'll make it happen, right? We're going to play a top 10 opponent uh it's part of a a part of a two for one i think so we don't want to mess with that mojo we've got baylor coming into ruston sometime in the near future um so yeah i mean i mean it all came down to does baylor want to make this happen and their schedule came out the big 12 schedule came out and they had replaced tech with a conference game on the 26th so i thought mistakenly that they had just canceled the tech game so i tweeted that out from our account uh, and was very quickly told by somebody, probably a La Tech report, let's be honest, that uh, <laughs> the game was not actually canceled. We just didn't know yet uh, who their out-of-conference opponent would be. So, uh, yeah, so the, the 26th was out, and we already had games scheduled, right, Nathan? What what kind of went into that, making that happen? 
Yeah, so Tech's early season schedule, of course, forgetting about UNLV on September 5th. Tech originally had USM on the 12th, Houston Baptist, or before that, Prairie View A&M on the 19th, and Baylor on the 26th. This is all September. Those are the only three weekends you need to remember, the 12th, 19th, and 26th. So the Big 12 schedule revised Baylor's out-of-conference date and put it as the 12th of September. So now if they wanted to keep Tech on their schedule, Tech had to move around their games to be able to schedule Baylor for that 12th, and Tech had USM there. So Tech needed to move the game against the Golden Eagles. To do so, Southern Miss's FCS opponent, Tennessee Tech, that game was scheduled for the 19th. But the Ohio Valley Conference postponed all fall sports, so USM's FCS opponent canceled, so Tech could move that game against USM to the 19th. Of course, USM had to say yes, but we're on good terms with them still. USM and the and the conference and the conference as well had to yeah. agree, yeah. But Tech also had a game scheduled on the nineteenth, and that's the Houston Baptist FCS game for them. But now Tech had an open date on the twenty sixth because that's when Baylor originally was. So Tech moved the Houston Baptist game to the twenty sixth because Houston Baptist only has their out of conference games schedule set. That conference has, I think it's a Southland conference, hasn't set their conference slate yet. Probably waiting to see how all the out-of-conference games get matched up and everything. It's probably my thought. So now the schedule looks like this. On the 12th to open the season, Tech faces Baylor. Then the next week, Tech, I think it's an away game to USM on the 19th. And then finally the home opener against Houston Baptist on the 26th. Yeah, so so still playing on my wedding day. And now when we lose on my wedding day, I'll be even more upset because we'll lose to Houston Baptist instead of Baylor. You know what's wild, though, is uh, speaking of wedding-related games, is Tech had a game on my wedding. Yeah, didn't we? Isn't that yeah. the time we beat Northwestern State? No, it was the time that we had a or was it Southern five- or six-hour rain delay against South Carolina State. Oof. Oh, South Carolina State. Right, right, right. Where, I knew it was an FCS game. Okay. Where Higgins threw two of his four or five interceptions of the year in that one game. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was probably my least favorite game at the Joe. As a was that the We Want J Mark chant game? I don't know. Probably, I don't know. Which was in long. retros retrospect one of the stupidest chants because <laughs> Higgins went on to become the notorious HIG that year. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, I just want to give on all the scheduling stuff. I just want to give a shout out to to Tommy McClellan because I mean he had to work with a lot of people and. He basically put the ball in Baylor's court and said, look, if you want to play us, we'll we'll play you. We'll make it happen, right? And um, he had to work with the league commissioners and the athletic directors at USM and Houston Baptist. And I just think that goes to show that he's got good working relationships with other ADs um, to make all this stuff happen kind of the way that it's most beneficial for tech. So uh, regardless of how many times that ULM uh, slash ULL fan will tweet at you, Tommy. Uh, we we think you're doing a good job, so keep it up. <laughs> Let's jump to one real quick thing to talk about before we talk about the offensive preview for this team, and that is coronavirus updates. Evan, what has the team been through so far? Yeah, I mean, so th- when they first came back in June, they had some players test positive, and then they came back in July, they had some players test positive. Then, surprise, they came back in August for fall camp and had some players test positive. So uh, basically, you know, what they're doing is they're trying to keep players in groups together so that, you know, they can identify through contact tracing who needs to sit out once a player in their group turns up positive. So a lot of players 
through fall camp have been missing practices due to that contact tracing, which is, you know, the right thing to do. We're trying to be safe about it. Um, for example, at last uh, weekend scrimmage, it was on Saturday, there were 14 players missing either with injuries or wrapped up in contact tracing. And Skip said that 10 of those 14 players are players that he would see as being in the two deep. Uh, so, you know, first or second string players. Um, and a lot of the offensive line was missing from that scrimmage, actually. So there were three or four starters that were just out because, you know, they got caught up in the contact tracing. So they have to sit out of practice uh, while they while they wait for their test results and all that kind of stuff. So I think another news item here is that I think the CUSA has come out and said that in game weeks, you have to run three tests um, and you have to show up negative on on like three successive tests to be eligible to play. I think I could be, I could be off about that. I don't know if you guys saw that or not, but, and then the other news item I think is that the NCAA, I think they're still weighing it, but they've basically said that they're going to give fall student athletes another year of eligibility. And that's regardless of the number of games that they play in this season. I think it's still a little up in the air. There might be some, some like fine print on that, but Basically, you know, the Big Ten and Pac-12 and the MAC are not playing this year, so they would obviously get another year of eligibility. But they've basically come out and said, we're going to give everyone another year of eligibility. So that's going to be interesting and have ramifications for, like, next year's recruiting class. What does that do? Are they going to raise the number of scholarships? Because if you don't, that pretty much, I mean, changes how things work. Uh, But... We'll see. I, I mean, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, we hope that everybody stays safe, and I think three tests a week is... Um, I that's, think that's pretty darn good. That's more than I thought they were going to do, personally, because up until uh, the NBA slash Yale came out with that saliva test that costs about $4 a piece, uh, testing was a lot more expensive, um, and I think that's almost maybe the break the breakthrough that CUSA was kind of counting on to be able to do football this year because tech's not going to be able to afford, you know, a hundred tests three times a week at anything more than $4 a pop. I'll just put it that way. So indeed. Yeah. Just, just to clarify, I think there hasn't been an official word from conference USA yet on the frequency of the testing. Okay. There okay. is a tweet from a few weeks or a few days ago, verified guy on Twitter who I haven't heard of, but He's got a check next to his name, so he has to be telling the truth. That says Source Conference USA is leaning towards mandatory testing three times a week okay. for COVID nineteen. Yada yada yada. So I, the SEC is doing me. something similar. The Big Twelve yeah. is doing something similar. Conference USA several times has said they're following those two conferences' lead when it comes to how they're handling coronavirus. So if that's what they're doing, I would expect Conference USA to do the same. Yeah, I I think that three tests a week seems like just about as good as I could hope for. Given the circumstances and, you know, everything we know about how long it takes for, you know, to go from transmission to showing symptoms and whatnot, I think running a test like Monday, Wednesday, Friday of a game week, if you're tested positive or or testing negative all three of those times, you probably got a pretty good shot that you're not positive, right? So I would say so. Let's just hope it's not an 8 a.m. on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, because those are always the worst classes. Those are the worst. I got through my whole college career with only taking one 8 a.m. class. It was great. All right, I'm booting you off this call. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and move forward into the offensive preview, and we'll start with the position that's probably the most crucial to the sport of football, and that's quarterback. Left tackle. 
Wait. left tackle. Backup punter. The initial lesson for left tackle is LT, Louisiana Tech, yeah, Illuminati. There's some meeting there. Yeah, that's what I was going for, definitely. Yeah, so of course, for quarterback, Tech has lost Jamar Smith due to graduation and I would say the NFL draft, but he wasn't drafted, but kind of the Patriots. Either way, they did gain, the Bulldogs did, Luke Anthony, a grad transfer that we've talked about a few times already, the freshman J.D. Head, and another grad transfer who you probably hadn't heard of. I I did not know about this until I read your notes earlier today. So I did not know until two seconds ago. His name is Trent Wessel. He's from FAU. He's a grad transfer from FAU. I'll talk about him in a second. But first, let's talk about this competition that we have between Luke Anthony. And so Aaron you Allen. didn't mention the, the guys we still have that didn't just come here. But we've, we got, go. we've got Aaron Allen, Weston Elliott, and Jackson Thompson also in the QB room. So six guys. That's that's a lot. That's a big quarterback. Yeah, and I've changed my mind. Let's go ahead and talk about Wessel really quickly. Came here from FAU. Basically, his job at FAU was he was never really going to play. He uh, Lane Kiffin saw him as basically the next really good coach. And so he had him run the offense with the team. He had him learn things and also do some kind of player coaching kind of things from his position. Of course, Lane Kiffin left FAU. So Wessel decided he wanted to as well. So he came to Tech, where he'll probably do a very similar thing. And whether the starting quarterback is Luke Anthony or Aaron Allen, he'll be kind of their mentor, like the the sixty year old backup quarterback in the NFL, <laughs> Patrick Mahomes. Oh, you mean Matt Moore? That's who it is. Shouts out Matt Moore. Yeah, that, that's kind of cool. I mean, I, I always like having the kind of player coach guy, like the the wise old veteran who's just. You know, he, he just likes going to practice, right? And he, he just like loves being around the game, right? He's not going to play. And the free education. Yeah, true. And the yeah. and the per, and the per diem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here for the per diem. And you may be able to keep his game jerseys too. So, I mean, that's pretty There cool. you go. Bookstore sells out of them. Oh, hey, look, I got an extra. No, we yeah. have to start him. <laughs> I'll take a Trent. I'll take a Trent West. Yeah, he'll be the last one left. All the other guys get wrapped up in contact tracing. Trent Wessel is suddenly our starting QB. <laughs> and also running back, left tackle, right tackle. <laughs> one versus 11. You name it. Yeah, so Tech opens up the season against Baylor in, what, three weeks? Who do we think the starter is going to be? Do we think it's going to be Aaron Allen? Or do we think it's it, going to be Luke Anthony? It's going to be Aaron Allen. How dare you not mention Weston Elliott? I'm just kidding. He's not going to be the starter. <laughs> Weston Elliott. He was in that Instagram <laughs> post where they said there was a quarterback competition. Yeah, no. And, and Corey Diaz had an article recently where he talked about the three starters. And I mean, Skip is playing it up, right? Like Skip always does. He's He says that any of these three guys could be the starter and it's a wide open competition. But I mean... Reading between the lines, uh, it's a it's a two man competition, and honestly, I think it's going to be Luke Anthony. But we'll talk about that. It's not going to be Luke Anthony. <laughs> Man, Matt is still on his Aaron Allen bullshit, huh? Aaron Allen is the best possible option, not some cast out <laughs> cast out. <laughs> it's not some cast out half ass. He's got a full tier. ass. He has both. <laughs> Parts of the ass. Not some half-ass outcast reject from some low-level college. Okay, he left on his own accord. Thank you very much. But let's talk about Aaron Allen first, since Matt is no uh, Matt is you know all over that jock. So um, you know <laughs> we saw him. Bud. <laughs> we saw him last year in two games. He was okay uh, in those two losses. It wasn't. I think it. I would put that more on the. 
the playbook. Um, either he wasn't comfortable enough with the playbook or Skip wasn't comfortable enough. And also a critical drop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he would he should probably be one and one uh, if it wasn't for our boy Izzy Tucker. But um, so in the offseason, he he has focused on bulking up. He's added 10 pounds of muscle up to 203. Uh, so that's that's good. He's uh, worked on his footwork a lot, um, which he viewed as one of his weaknesses coming out of last year. And, you know, remembering those two games, I, I would agree with that. He's He wasn't as mobile in the pocket as you might expect him to be and kind of flat-footed on a lot of throws. So that needed some work. Um, but the biggest change that uh, everybody's talking about in his game, and I think the biggest advantage for him maybe becoming the starter, is that he's been in the offense now for two complete seasons, and this is his third offseason coming in. So uh, he he said, quote, this year my mentality is even more locked in. The mental side of my game is the biggest difference. Um, so I think that, you know, he, he has a better grasp on the offense uh, than anybody other than Weston Elliott would because Elliott's – this is his fourth year in the offense. So um, I think Aaron Allen – I think he has a real shot. I mean, what what do you guys think? He's a god. He is not a god, but yeah, he has a shot. I'm with you that Luke Anthony's probably going to get it. But I mean, Aaron Allen, you have to assume the way things work like this is that if you're the starter in waiting, you're the starter in waiting until someone dethrones you. So Luke Anthony has to come in and dethrone him. But I think that's possible. Aaron Allen looks good, but he's still fresh. He's still young. He's got another season under his belt, but it's only been three or what two or three games since the last time he started right because that was pretty late in the year last year too yeah we didn't have spring football so that doesn't help luke anthony but also doesn't help aaron allen even if he knows the offense that's less practice reps for him to get up to a uh he's not a senior but like a senior level of knowing how to play college football yeah i i mean i think one thing i like about aaron allen a lot is that he is just a redshirt sophomore um so that gives him three years of eligibility coming coming out right now. And if Plus if they get another year from COVID, like, I mean, even if he doesn't end up starting this year, we could still have him for three years. And I think that's really promising. Um, but, I mean, it, it's this is a great year to have this problem, right? To have two guys that are three guys, according to Skip, that could be your starting quarterback. Um, because, you know, maybe Aaron Allen is our starter and he's great. Uh, but then maybe his girlfriend gets COVID, and so now he's got to sit out. Like, hopefully his girlfriend doesn't get COVID. Just oh. to knock on on that. But like, you know, you know what I'm saying though. He he might have to sit out for maybe ten days, and that could be two games, right? So it's a good year to have maybe two guys neck and neck to be the starting quarterback, and not last year where it was like, okay, it's Jamar, and then after that, it's like, ooh, I don't know which one is the second string, but Jamar's the guy, right? Yeah, definitely. So let's talk a little bit about the guy in the other corner, weighing in at 203 pounds, six foot oh. It's Luke Anthony, who we've said a few times. He comes from Evelyn Christian, like we've said a lot, the second tier low rate school or whatever Matt Thank called you. it a second ago. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. You're, you're welcome. I disagree, but you're welcome. Thank he came you. in as, I guess, what we all thought of as the presumptive starter, but. Well, except for Matt, apparently. Yeah. But yes. Thank again, you. again, including Matt, your opinion is valid and welcomed in this group. Uh, spring football got canceled, of course, so he lost quite a bit of valuable time trying to learn a new offense and a new scheme. 
Uh, without that time, he says he's loving how open the Tech offense is. He says he's played in a lot of games, but this is a more spread out offense, which is good because Tech's offense is more spread out. But at the same time, like if you're him, you're playing a different scheme. So maybe that's that's not the best news to hear that, oh, wait, this is new to me. Uh, there are new challenges. He says that reading defenses is different. That also feels like a red flag. Um, yeah. He says it's a work in progress, but he's making steps day by day. Yeah. And uh, Corey, Corey Diaz's article had some like he had. It, it's kind of it's kind of a cool concept. Um, each of the three quarterbacks states their own case for being the starting quarterback. And then they each give like a, a take on the other guys. And so Weston Elliott's take about Luke Anthony was that he's got all the fundamentals and technique. And he said the way he's come in and picked up the offense has been really impressive. And he said that he's been spending a lot of time working on the offense with Luke. Um, and like I said earlier, Weston Elliott knows this offense better than anybody else in that quarterback room right now. So um, it, it sounds like Weston Elliott kind of kind of likes Luke Anthony a little bit, uh, maybe more than Allen. Um, he he said Allen was the young gun, gunslinger kind of guy, which that has its place too, for sure. But, you know, that, that's kind of an interesting uh, maybe telling sign there too, that Weston Elliott's kind of saying he, he can do it. He's got, he's got what it takes. So interesting. Yeah. And then I guess uh, to talk about option three, Weston Elliott, he's focused on the mental side of the game. He says he's been watching the <laughs> tape of the Texas game. Yeah. Uh, he said he watched times. it 10 times. So I was like, bro, there were other games you played yeah. in a lot of them. That were much more fun to watch. Maybe he didn't yeah. want to watch himself throwing interceptions. Were there any of those? I don't know. I not maybe not in the Texas game, but there were a few throughout the rest of the year. But yeah, I'd oh, I meant were there games where he didn't throw an interception oh, that he yeah. <laughs> that's 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 probably mean. That's that's mean, but also he's truthful. not the worst guy. He just made like in his limited in his limited stuff that we saw last year. He just like made bad decisions and they led to pick sixes more often than not. And it was just like, well, we're already down 45 to 10 or whatever. Like don't throw a pick six, man. What are you doing? Yeah. So two horse battle, pretty much. We'll see what it comes down to one horse battle, one horse with two heads. (laughs) I mean, I, I honestly, you know, before I knew about Trent Wassell, I was kind of thinking that maybe Weston Elliott was maybe priming himself for that future, offensive analyst GA position with tech, you know, once he graduates um, this, this upcoming year, because he seems to be focusing a lot more on the the film side of thing. And he did mention that with COVID, he got a, he got a weight set for his room and worked on the physical aspects too. But um, anyway, that, that was just kind of the vibe I got it was like, Oh, this guy wants to be a coach. Right. But I think it's going to be Luke Anthony. And there's a lot more in-depth stuff you can get from Bleed Tech Blue about how the battle's going day by day. And both Anthony and Allen win days, right? So it is a close competition. It's not like Anthony's got it or Allen's got it. It's They're going back and forth right now. So it's really anybody's job to win, which is kind of exciting and kind of like, well, are they both really good or are they both not great? Are they both putting <laughs> a lot of balls in the dirt? And that's what we're trying to decide between, you know? So we'll see, basically. But with Baylor as your first opponent, that's kind of scary. <laughs> and so you say Luke Anthony, I'll say Luke Anthony. And before we give Matt the chance to talk, let's move over to the running backs. <laughs> this year, going into 2020, Tech has lost Jaquise Dancy, 
to graduation, DeAndre Marcus to transfer, Elijah Hines to transfer, and Ishmael Landers to who knows where he went. He's just not on the roster anymore. I don't even know who that is. So I think he was a walk-on. There are a few of those where we'll say yeah. Tech lost these players, and you're like, who's that? But, yeah. at, the, but at the same time, the Bulldogs gained a transfer uh, in Greg Garner from a junior college. Also, true freshmen, Arlen Dixon, Thomas Williams, and Cam Wright, and also still still around, still kicking it, or Justin Henderson and Israel Tucker. You know, no big deal. Yeah, that's interesting that we've only got those those two returning guys because it felt like before this, I mean, our our running back room was really full of those kind of down roster players. Like, it feels like DeAndre Marcus has been here for years, and then he decided to transfer out. Um, Elijah Hides, I think, was a freshman last year, maybe. Um, don't quote me on any, on any of this, but... <laughs> Yeah, so a lot of new faces there in that room, but Justin Henderson's obviously got the job locked down as the starting running well, back after last season. Well. Oh. Well, here's here's <laughs> my thing, Here, and I was going to wait a little bit to talk about this, but the past few years, Tech has been a little weird when it comes to returning running backs. Like okay. last year, Jaquie Stancy was Tech's number one. He was the he was the starter the year before entering his senior year. It's it's going to be Dancy's job, but he quickly lost out to Justin Henderson. <laughs> And Henderson who started over. as the third string too. Yeah. Exactly. So that's a good point. And the exact same thing happened in 2017 when Jared Kraft was a senior and Boston Scott went off. Yeah. So really tech has not had a capital D dominant running back since Kenneth Dixon and whether or not the next Kenneth Dixon will be Harlan Dixon. That would be nice or, or whoever it will be. There's no, I don't see Justin Henderson as being the guy who is so untouchable to a Kenneth Dixon level that he's not he's reachable so by Greg Garner or even one of these new freshmen coming in, whether or not it's Harlan Dixon because he went to my high school alma mater or not. Hey, shout out Slidell. Whoop. Anyway, never mind. Don't <laughs> please delete that. Don't then, shout out Slidell. <laughs> and then also with with not getting any the, the four game redshirt rule this year is a twelve game redshirt rule where he can play all year and still be a true freshman next year or whatever or however this is going to work with NCAA. That's that's more time. There's not that incentive to keep him on the bench whether it's Dixon or Thomas Williams or Cam Wright or whoever. So, I mean, I, I mean, I do think Justin Henderson will be the leading rusher at the end of the year because it feels like if you're going by odds, he has the best chance, but I wouldn't write it down in, in Sharpie yet that he'll be the leading rusher. Yeah. And again, this is a weird, weird season. So Absolutely. like he doesn't even uh, running backs get banged up very easily. Right. We, we saw that with Dancy basically not being able to play at all last season. Um, so, but this year you don't even have to get banged up to have to sit out a game, right? Like you don't even have to have COVID. You could just know somebody who has COVID and you got to sit out for the game because you're in contact tracing. Right. So, I, I mean, it's a weird season. We could see instead of a thousand yard year from Henderson, like we saw last year, we could see like five guys with 500 yards, right? Like, <laughs> or 400 yards or however that works out. Right. Like, uh, I mean, I think, this Greg Garner guy, I'm excited about him because from what I've heard, he's very similar to Henderson in terms of his size and how he uses his size, but he's also fast and he's coming from Cisco junior college, which is in Abilene, Texas. Uh, shout out Luke Anthony, um, where you. he had <laughs> 904 yards, five point yards or 5.7 yards per carry and seven touchdowns in nine games last season. Um, and that was good enough to name him the second team All-American at the junior college level. Um, and so, honestly, it 
it seems like a big get for Tech to get a junior college player with those kind of numbers. 5.7 yards per carry. I mean, that's that's really good. And coming into a stacked running back room already. So, um, yeah, I, I really, I'm really excited for this guy to see how he's going to contribute this season, uh, if at all. And then obviously Harlan Dixon, whose high school tape is very, very good. He's fast. Uh, he can catch. He's very, very good with his hands. So I could see him making an impact this season as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to look up Greg Gardner's uh, rivals page, but it doesn't look like he got any other offers, at least from from what I'm seeing here. So yeah, the, and I'm surprised to see someone with that stat line able to be grabbed by Tech, even if it is, is only for two or I guess three years because of COVID for another running back spot. But I think that just goes to prove my point that Henderson isn't untouchable. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't know what this guy's been looking like you know, through camp so far. I know he missed the uh, the scrimmage yesterday. Not sure with what, whether it was COVID stuff or an injury or, or anything like that. I'm sure that's probably on Blue Tech Blue, but not a lot to talk about that here anyway. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so anyway, I mean, as long as he's healthy, it can't hurt to have as deep a room as you possibly can at all positions this season, especially. Um, which I think transitions well to the wide receivers because we got some depth there, don't we, Nathan? That we do. So Tech is lost going into this year. Malik Stanley and Javante Woodward, Woodard to graduation, and then also some uh, end-of-roster names in Jake Norris and Joshua Matthews. Tech has gained three true freshmen and Trey Harris, C.J. McWilliams, and excuse me, there's only two true freshmen, also Jared Means, a transfer. Um, also, yeah. but still here. Okay, try to do this all in one breath. All right. Adrian Hardy, Isaiah Graham, CJ Powell, George Scott, Praise Oakery, Jawan Johnson, Griffin Aber, Smoke Harris, Wayne Toussaint, Taj McGee, Doyle Adams Jr., Joseph Walker, Carson Reeder, and Kyle Maxwell. That's a How lot of wide receivers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen players returning. Adding three. So we have 17 wide receivers on this roster. All right. How oh, many of those man. did you recognize, Matt? Uh, like two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I'm excited. I mean, last year, if you go back and listen to episode zero, I think is where we talked about this. I was pumped about the wide receiver room last year. And here we are again. And I'm excited again because Adrian Hardy didn't have the best year last year, but he is great. We know he can be great. Um, I think he's going to be the number one outside receiver on the team. He should be. Um, hopefully he can have some chemistry with uh, whoever the quarterback ends up being. Isaiah Graham, I was super pumped about last year. I'm also pumped this year, but you know, hopefully he can do a little bit more for me um, this year. And I mean, guys, Smoke Harris, as long as the sweep works a little earlier this season, I think uh, I think he'll have a great year. Um, yeah. It, does anybody want to cut me off here before I just keep going about keep going down this list? I mean, there's uh, so many there's so many good, if not probably not great, at least of what we've seen from them receivers. I think that's that's where my head is at. Is I'm I'm really happy to have back who we have back, but Tech has been spoiled by some really really good receivers in the past decade. Yeah. And and none of these have stood out the way that Trent Taylor, Carlos Henderson. Quentin Patton like there's there's none of those guys that I see here yet because I mean Quentin Patton went off in 2011 but in 2012 he was a, a different animal right. so so maybe this is the year that George Scott turns into a, a fourth round draft pick or whatever uh you never I mean, really it may know be hard 
too, because there is so much depth and there's so many players that maybe there just isn't. I mean, obviously, if Trent Taylor were on this roster now, he would demand the the amount of targets that Trent Taylor demanded in 2016, right? Because he was that good. But like, maybe Adrian Hardy's not going to get you know, 130 receptions because Isaiah Graham is his number two on the other side of the field. Right. Or CJ Powell even, or, I mean, God, there's so many, so many players here. And I mean, Griffin Abair had flashes last year. Wayne yeah. Tucson is faster than anyone on the damn field, but he just can't catch a ball over his shoulder, man. So if he can figure out how to catch the ball, he'll be a, a threat over the top. And, you know, so many of these names, like, Taj McGee got some backup time last year. Jawan Johnson we saw in mop-up duty last year, like in the UMass game. He looked really, really good. I think he played at running back, though. I don't even know. But I have I have heard that Jawan Johnson has looked excellent in camp and may even be in the two deep. So that's something to keep your eye on. Also, you mentioned Gerard Means. from He transferred in from Tennessee. As far as I know, we're still waiting to see if the NCAA will give him that immediate eligibility waiver. I think they have not ruled on him. And then the, I think it's a linebacker we got from McNeese also. Um, I think but we'll we, cover that next week. Yeah, we haven't heard about the two of them yet. But man, so there's also some injuries. Uh, Praise of Corey and George Scott are out with ankle injuries and are probably going to miss some game time too. And then for the scrimmage last weekend, also some players missed for COVID protocol stuff. So, you know, that's going to be a mainstay, though. So maybe having 17 receivers and, you know, maybe 10 of them that I am at least aware of, I guess, (laughs) is the best way to describe it, It is a good thing. Um, You know, got some freshmen in. I I remember McWilliams being a big name during recruiting season, but I don't know how he's doing so far, you know, with pads on. So anyway, I'm excited again about the wide receivers. Just, you know, it wouldn't be an August podcast if I wasn't talking about the <laughs> wide receiver group, apparently. Yeah. So if you're that excited about wide receivers, how do you feel about tight ends? Oh, man, I think 100 percent of our tight ends are going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah, so here's what the tight end room looks like. Maybe it's a storage closet now because Tech lost Zach Kuzar. He retired due to just getting injured too much. So he left the program. Tech has gained the following tight ends. I want to put some cricket noises there in the chirp, in post. Chirp, yeah. chirp. And here are the tight ends that are still here. Chirp, chirp. Yeah, that's chirp. right. We uh, straight up do not have a tight end on the roster anymore. That is hilarious. One of those wide receivers. Let's see. Which one of the wide receivers is the tallest? And Luke weighs Anthony. The <laughs> Griffin Bear is 6'3", 217. Looks like you're tight end now, buddy. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, the, the way this offense has worked is not with a lot of blocking tight end formations anyway. Wait, Carson Reader is 6'2", 224. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, in those, like, big bone situations, we may just see an extra lineman instead of a uh, tight end in there blocking. But we do have a lot of offensive linemen on the roster. Yeah, and that works out to be a pretty good transition to the last group we're here to talk about because instead of talking about centers, guards, and tackles as the individual people that they are, <laughs> we group them all together <laughs> And one offensive line category, mostly so that we could say a bunch of names really quickly because I hadn't heard of a lot of these people. So here's who Tech lost on the on the offensive line going into this year. Ethan Reed, Dwight Stallworth, Drew Kirkpatrick, all to graduation. Then we have Carter Habich, Habich to transfer. And then three guys that no one really knows where they are. And Taylor. Car- Fala- Wait, 
Carter, hey, bitch. <laughs> Without the T. H-A-B-I-C-H. Hey, bitch. Get out the way and go to a different <laughs> school. Well, hopefully he does get people. To, well, actually, he's not on the team. What? This is someone new on the team? No, nope, this is someone that's that's leaving. Another Aww, great name bitch. of a player that is just not on the roster anymore. Justin Throckmorton. <laughs> just, what? I don't know. I don't know why I love that name so much. Throckmorton. I don't know. And then also uh, Noter, Noah Peter or Petrie or Petrie? something. Peter? I P-I-T-R-E. All three of those last few guys are all just question marks. They're no longer on the roster. I didn't see any uh, talk about a transfer, but they could also be transferring. But here's who Tech gained. Through the transfer portal, they added Donna, Donovan Campbell. Yeah, he's from, from LSU. From LSU. Big, big old dude. Yeah. Played, in a, played in games last year, too. So, I mean, yeah, excited yeah. about him for sure. Then we have another transfer in Michael Gauze. Then also some true freshmen in Jaron Gilbert, Burt Hale, Ray Kelly, and Dakota White. And then, of course, we still have several offensive linemen that have stuck around in the program year over year, I guess. And Willie Allen, Joshua Mote, Cody Russi. Anton Lewis, Abraham Delphin, Christian Henderson, Byron Rossell, Steve Ballard, Joshua Brewster, Drake Carroll, Walker Hankinson, and Brett Pope. Okay. Yeah. Those were some <laughs> names. I've heard of half of those guys, I think. You know, what really makes great podcasting is talking about offensive line play. Yes. yes people so now, love it. So we're going to stop this episode and next week, 45 minutes on the offensive line and who will be starting Thanks for listening to the GTPDD podcast. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we we have to do one of those bits where we sh- end the show early every week. At this point, it's it's becoming tradition. <laughs> but yeah, so basically, this is what happened with those guys out the door. We lost both starting guards and the right tackle, so three offensive linemen starting. It's going to be place. really hard to replace Ethan Reed and his sixty-three straight starts, <laughs> especially when he only fit that into fifty-three games. <laughs> Amazing. Cody Russi started 12 games last year, and Willie Allen was the everyday left tackle. Those guys are back. Then Joshua Mote and Anton Lewis both had some starts last year and played in every game. So that's four of your five linemen there. And then Donovan Campbell, Donovan, he's the grad transfer from LSU. He'll probably play immediately as well. So, I mean, maybe another player on the team steps up and becomes a starting position at one of those five offensive linemen spots. But you lost, you lost three guys, but really it feels like you're pretty well prepared to piece together the offensive line back, at least unless uh, COVID gets in the way. Right, Evan? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be tough at all positions, but like I said, they were kind of the hardest hit during the scrimmage. Skip said that um, I think four of the two deep linemen, so four of 10 uh, were out and, you know, so you don't get to, you don't get to evaluate them in like actual game simulation. Um, so that sucks. Um, and, and that affects the whole offense, right? I mean, the, the running backs are trying to run through holes made by those guys. The quarterbacks are trying to be protected by those guys. So, you know, hopefully we can string together some kind of cohesion at that unit, especially since we lost those three starters with so many starts. I mean, you know, joking aside, like Ethan Reed was a mainstay for the for the last four years, and now he's gone. So, um, and Dwight Solworth was there for a few years, and Kirkpatrick too. So, I mean, it's... It's going to be tough, and I think this is going to be the key to our offense, honestly. Like, the running backs will be fine, and the quarterback play will work itself out, I think. And the wide receivers are, you know, we're going to have the greatest wide receiving core of all time, according to me. Uh, Every year. Yeah. So, 
I think it's all going to come down to can this offensive line form a cohesive unit week after week when maybe, you know, obviously injuries always happen, right? So this, this always happens and skip is always in week 10 saying like, we've had nine different offensive line units. And now in week 10, we're finally getting the same one. Like that happens every single year. Right. So it's not anything different. It's just, can there be cohesion with so many new faces and three, three starters having to be replaced? Yeah. Matt, any thoughts on the offensive line? Yes. All I can say is I know very little about the offensive line. Uh, That's one. And that's it. All right. (laughs) I know very, it's not a glamorous position. Yeah. Uh, But you know what? The funny thing, it's not a glamorous position, but it's, it's the most important offensive position is uh, all the members of the offensive line. Uh, Without those guys up front, I mean, if they're terrible, we're going to have a terrible offense and we're going to have a terrible season. So, Maybe that I think maybe that's going to be something we keep our eye on a lot this season, especially if we struggle out the gate. It might not be because of quarterback play. It could be because we have a shoddy offensive line on the flip side. Maybe we'll have a kick ass offensive line and that could be uh, that could be something we heavily rely on. But I mean, look at what <laughs> if Luke Anthony is starting. <laughs> yeah, well, you are correct. Yeah. So before we we wrap up the offensive side. There is one position we haven't talked about, and that's because I didn't realize that Tech actually had players with this position, and that's fullback. Oh. Tech had some fullbacks. So last year, Bobby Holly was a fullback, right? He he was a redshirt senior, so he's gone and possibly – was he in an NFL camp? Wasn't the Chargers? Yeah, he was with the Chargers. Yeah. And then also another fullback that was on the roster last year that continues to be on it this year is Jacob Adams, who I had never heard of, and – his roster page says he's a fullback. His player page says he's a linebacker. He played in all 13 games last year, primarily on special teams. Hmm. He had one solo tackle and one reception for eight yards against North Texas. Nice. And he returned a kick four yards versus Marshall. So I was basically, there for that. I don't remember that. Yeah, I don't either. But getting involved in offense, defense, and special teams, it's like an old school football player, right? Yeah. He gets his own category, and that's that category. Yeah. <laughs> the category of football foot fullback fb stands for fullback and football linebacker his, his and special team specialist yes his position is football so i like to see if you know the cusa has put out any sort of lists or preseason you know all conference it doesn't appear that the cusa media did that yet this season uh i don't know why normally they put that out in like July, I guess media days kind of got put online or something. So maybe that, I don't know. There was nothing about it on the CUSA website, but anyway, Phil Steele put out an all conference CUSA list and three tech players on offense made the first team. Uh, and it was Justin Henderson, Adrian Hardy and Cody Russi. So those three guys, you know, they've been in the offense for at least a year in Henderson's case, uh, more for the other two guys, but those three guys are, are, I think we're all expecting big things from Cody Russi should be the anchor of that offensive line. Um, we can count on him um, to kind of, you know, that group goes as he goes basically. So he's going to be the veteran on that, on that uh, unit. Um, and then Willie Allen, another offensive lineman was named to the second team um, all conference. So, you know, that's, that's good to see, right? We just talked about how uncertain things are at OL and, it'll be nice to have those two guys as all conference players coming in. So, all right. So now that 
leads us to tweet of the week. This week's tweet of the week goes to guess who at LaTeX Report, who I picked one of the tweets that they sent because they sent a few different ones answering our questions from the last podcast. But the one I picked was Coach Mickey Slaughter's called football stats for a sophomore, junior, and senior year. He attached them to the tweet, which I thought what, Matt these, may get a kick out of because he stats find them last ridiculous. week. Oh, yeah. I mean, and not in a, like, they're so good that I can't believe it. It's just, like, how different college football was at this time. Yeah, so they have individual rushing leaders, forward passing leaders. They have to specify forward. And then pass receiving leaders, individual punting leaders. The punter is a fullback. That's interesting. Anyway, yeah. And it's all handwritten, which, I mean, it's 1960, so it would make sense. But especially for how old it is too. It's in like pristine condition, the the scan yeah. of the form. So, I mean, that's just, we've done a lot of historical deep dives into tech history. The sixties weren't that long ago, but the year 1960 was the first of the sixties. So that's even longer ago. My dad was born in the sixties. He's so all right. Mine. Yeah. They look fine. Dad was born in 59. Well, your dad's, uh, your dad's really old. old. <laughs> Shouts out, John, you're a great man. Thank you for breakfast. My dad does not listen to this podcast. <laughs> He's still a good guy. My dad does, so I won't say anything bad about him. Shouts <laughs> out Nathan's father. Anyway. So these stats, so, so Mickey Slaughter's stats yeah, get as a sophomore, it. 64 completions, 114 <laughs> attempts, 834 yards, six touchdowns, and four picks. That's for uh, a season. This guy man. got drafted. <laughs> Now, his next two seasons were kind of better, I guess. 82 for 127, 856 yards, six touchdowns and four picks as a junior. And then 79 for 138, 932, three touchdowns, four interceptions as a senior, leading to him being amazing. And two two point conversions. Three touchdowns. What are we doing out there, man? (laughs) Well, he did. At least he sat next to me whenever Skip was introduced as head coach. That's true. His his backup quarterback that year had three touchdowns as well. So and then they Man. don't list touchdowns for the individual rushing leaders. This is annoying. Yeah, he 1962 get better stats. <laughs> Mickey Slaughter was just nothing short of complete and total ass <laughs> as a football player. This may is is eight games really all they played that season? Probably. Because it says eight games to date, whereas the one before that was nine and the one before that was ten. So, interesting. Yeah, there's eight games really at go, the bottom of the sheet. Did they really go four and four? Yep, four and four. There we go. Okay. So, yeah, that's the tweet of the week this week. Uh, a news yeah, dump, thanks. an info dump. But, thanks, I mean... Thanks to LaTeX Report for uh, for always coming through with the stuff that we couldn't... He also tweeted the, uh, the All-Century team, if you're interested in seeing that, because... I had seen reference to it, but it wasn't online. So he found the newspaper article announcing it. Um, yeah, maybe in a future episode when we don't have anything else to talk about, we can kind of go through that list a little bit. Anyway. Um, so wait a minute, wait. Also, the 7-6, to six, he, he found the recap from the 7-6 to six Ole Miss win in 1946. So lots of stuff from our recent episodes that we could not find um, just via Google. He found, you know, with his... Yeah, yeah, with his advanced research. And the old Miss thing he had already covered back in 2018. So he was way ahead of us on that one. What were you about to say, Matt? I was going to say if LaTeX Report or whatever is able to find answers to stuff that we pose, then 
I don't know who killed Tupac Shakur. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of curious if they could find my birth certificate. Are they how you, are they hacking into a CIA database? Are they Are you unaware of the location of your birth certificate? I don't know who I am anymore. Uh, <laughs> Obi-Wan was right. You've changed. <laughs> All right, so one last thing before the the closing credits of the show. That's what they are, right? <laughs> Evan. <laughs> One last thing is I want to make sure we do. We plugged the Bleed Tech Blue podcast that's restarting the night that this comes out Tuesday because that's where you get actual information about this football yeah. team. He, he's been able to go to the practices this year, too. Uh, so he knows about these players we're just speculating about. He actually knows how they're looking in camp and can tell you. And I'm sure on that first episode that it's a radio show, right? Is that, is that what's coming back or is it yeah. just the... The radio podcast. show that then gets put in the podcast feed. Okay, yeah. So for those of us who don't live in, I think the Ruston or Shreveport area, you gotta you gotta catch it on the podcast the next day. But um, yeah, definitely check that out. Um, I think they're doing like six months free on BleedTechBlue.com. So like, really, you got no excuse right now to just get over there and go learn stuff. I know, I know, I'm a shill or whatever, but just do it. It's worth it. Yeah, you shill. Anyway. <laughs> that about wraps it up for this podcast the go tech please don't die podcast as always you can follow us on twitter at g-o-t-e-c-h-p-l-s-d-n-t-d-i-e or head to our blog at gtpdd.dog where we post things sometimes like the blog is and until okay. next time i'm nathan i'm evan i'm matt and go tech please don't die please that's quite sensual of you <laughs>